Good evening. Hello. Good evening. Okay, maybe not. Hey, the air conditioning works in my car, people. Y'all be mad at him. <laughs> Just saying. Well, they need some warming. We all do. All right, Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5. Thank you, Pastor Jason, uh, for the invitation to the church, for your kindness, uh, for inviting us again to come and preach. It's, it's always an honor. The longer that you are in this thing called ministry, the more that you appreciate men who trust you to open their pulpit to you. And uh, I value Brother Jason greatly. Um, this may not come as a total surprise, but I'm not the easiest guy to be a friend with. And uh, I can be taxing, and um, Jason tolerates that. And I simply can't express to you what his friendship means to me. So thank you. Love you. Matthew chapter 5, I'm going to read in your hearing verses 13 through 16. Matthew 5 verse 13, ye, and that's Old English. If we were to translate that into Middle Georgia, it would be y'all, all y'all. And that's quite literally what it means. You, those who are his followers, his disciples, ye are the salt of the earth. But if the salt have lost his savor, wherewith shall it be salted? It is thenceforth good for nothing, but to be cast out and to be trodden under foot of men. Ye, all of you, my disciples, ye are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hid. Neither do men light a candle and put it under a bushel, but on a candlestick. And it giveth light unto all that are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. Amen. Our Father, what we do not know, teach us. And where we have failed you, forgive us. And where we are hurting and broken, heal us. In and through and because of the name of Jesus Christ alone. Amen. I speak to you tonight on the thought of living as salt and light. In the prior message, uh, Pastor Meyer explained to us who are the truly blessed? Uh, in the Beatitudes, Jesus affirms that these people, the meek, the merciful, the pure in heart, and so on, these are the people who are truly blessed. And as I understand that word, it certainly does mean happy, but carries with it also the idea of these are the people that we should envy. These are the people we should look at and say they're the ones that really have it all together and they are the ones who are blessed even if they are hated by the world and as if what Jesus began this sermon with wasn't shocking enough now Jesus says this they those blessed ones they they are the salt of the earth, and they are the light of the world. Now, we may be naturally inclined to think that it is the powerful or the prestigious that are the salt of the earth, but not according to King Jesus. We may think the affluent philanthropist or some medium moguls that they are the light of the world, but that is not what our Messiah taught us. Instead, it is not the powerful, but the merciful who are the salt of the earth. It is not the self-righteous aristocrat who is the light of the world, but the one who is pure in heart. Or to put it more personally, if tonight you are indeed a born-again believer, then according to Jesus, Christian, you 
are the salt of the earth, you are the light of the world. You are. It is the citizens of Christ's kingdom who are salt and who are light. It is not the earth shakers, but the peacemakers who are the salt of the earth. It is not the pharisaical hypocrite who is the light of the world, but the one who is persecuted for righteousness' sake. Every follower of Christ should see themselves and should live as salt and light in this present age. Even though the world may hate us, hear this, they need us. They need us. This world needs us to be salt and light. This sin-sick society in which we live, they may want rid of Christianity, but how little do they actually know how much they need Christianity. This lost world around us needs for us to live as salt and light. This is your calling, Christian, to serve as salt and as light in this insipid world in which we live. This is accomplished by living out the Christian life as described for us in this book, and in particular in reference to this weekend, we serve as salt and light by living out the dictates of the Sermon on the Mount. Those principles and precepts that are found in this magnificent sermon. In fact, I'm fairly well convinced Pastor Jason agrees with me, so i got to be right then, that Jesus is clearly teaching in the Sermon on the Mount, this is what kingdom life looks like. This is what kingdom citizens look like. If you wanted to identify a Christian, read the Sermon on the Mount, and that's how you can identify a believer. These characteristics that are listed here or how one would identify those who are truly members of Christ's kingdom and those who are salt and light. Friends, we must see ourselves as first and foremost citizens of Christ's kingdom and no earthly kingdom. And when we do so, we do the most earthly good. When we live our lives as strangers and pilgrims in this country and see ourselves rather as residents of a heavenly kingdom, that's how we serve as salt and light in this society. My Christian family, believer, follower of Jesus, if you will think about what our Master is saying, He is describing us using these two fundamental elements, salt and and life, and light, and by doing so, hear me, your king is giving you high praise and a solemn duty. High praise. You, you say, you don't know how broken I am. Well, maybe not, but King Jesus does. And he still declares you are the salt of the earth and the light of the world. That's high praise from our King, but it also carries with it a solemn responsibility. What we learn from this, from King Jesus who has all authority, regal, royal authority, is that it is the citizens of His kingdom who act as salt and light in this world. This means... Hear this. This means you and I, dear believer, we have intrinsic purpose and value. Intrinsic purpose and value. You have purpose. You have value. This world may not see it. This world may deny it. This world may hate you for it. 
but the King of kings has said that you are the salt of the earth and the light of the world. Let's give some thought to how we honor our King and, and benefit the society by living as salt and light. Here in this passage, the wise master teacher uses two very familiar everyday examples as object lessons. These two things, salt and light, would readily resonate with those hillside hearers. I want to remind you very quickly, let me remind you, that in order to fully understand this teaching analogy of Jesus, we have to view this illustration from first century eyes, first century life, and not 21st century American life. Admittedly, we have lots of luxuries that those folks that were sitting along the seaside that day do not, or did not have. We have, for example, in reference to this illustration, we have ice makers and refrigerators. We have lamps and light bulbs. They did not. Pretty much any time we want to, we can run down to the local grocery store, grab some table salt, and as long as it stays dry 10 years, 20 years later, that salt sitting in our cabinet will be just as usable and just as salty as it was the day that you bought it. Not so for these folks that Jesus was speaking to. Though these modern conveniences are normal for us, these things had not entered into the minds of those to whom Jesus was speaking. Think on this with me, if you will. Probably none of us, perhaps a few of us, have actually ever salted down meat to keep it from spoiling. Maybe a few of you have done that, especially if you've got a little bit of gray hair about you. Probably very few of us have had to start a fire in order to cook a meal, unless, again, you've got a little bit of age about you, or for some reason you're crazy enough to like camping. I can't put that together. Maybe some of you burn wood for heat. But even that isn't as commonplace as it once was. About the only time that we in our society use an open flame to light a candle is when the power goes out or when you ladies like to fire up your scented candles. Overpriced scented candles. But of course... These modern-day luxuries were not available to the original hearers of this sermon. Boxes of long-lasting, pure Morton salt sitting on a grocery shelf was not the norm for them. Light bulbs, lighthouses, light switches, and light sabers were not a part of their vocabulary let alone part of their lives. They understood the primary purpose of salt was not to season, but to stabilize. Yes, they used salt to season, but primarily it was used to preserve meat from decay. And even though salt was a valuable commodity and was even employed or used as currency, very often the salt that they used had impurities in it. Or as Jesus says here in this text, it loses its, loses its savor. Or it loses its saltiness. Light or a flame was a means of seeing clearly in the dark. Or, to speak in today's vernacular, they didn't have flashlights, nor did they have flashlights on their cell phones, for which we are so very accustomed to. 
rest assured, the people on that Galilean hillside didn't know anything about our modern lifestyle, but they certainly understood the value of salt and light. To them, salt and light were not conveniences. They were necessary elements to everyday life. And in the same vein, the Christian's role as salt and light is necessary. They are necessary elements to spiritual life. The analogy our Lord employs here is not complex, it's not difficult, but it is rich and it is helpful and it is accurate. With this ancient background in mind, let us give some thought to what Jesus meant when he said that kingdom citizens are to live as salt and light in this world. Now the first truth that I would have you to notice with me, the first truth that we must mention is this, that in this passage we find an unspoken reality. An unspoken reality. I hate for my first point to be negative. But it's necessary that we see this. There is a truth here that isn't explicitly stated, but it is absolutely inferred. And here it is. The unspoken reality is this. The world we live in is spiritually dark and decaying. Think on this unspoken reality. There would be no need of salt and light unless this world was plagued by darkness and decay. The very fact that Jesus identifies His disciples and calling them to serve as salt and light teaches us something very important. It tells us that undeniably we live in a world that is dark and deteriorating. If this were not the case, there would be no need for salt and light. Jesus would strongly disagree with modern men who think our civilization is improving and progressing in a positive manner. Now we must concede, we must. Technology has improved. Healthcare has improved. Education has improved. But friends, morally and spiritually, this world is a mess. And increasingly so. Morality and goodness and virtue are not on the increase, but on the decrease. Humanity is not evolving into some brilliant, utopian society. No, not at all. We are moving further and further from God and goodness with every passing generation. However, this should not surprise the Bible student because the Bible warns us that in the last days, things are going to grow worse and worse. In fact, when writing of the end times, Paul tells Timothy in 2 Timothy 3.13 that evil men and seducers shall wax worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. Instead of improving, our society is declining. Spiritual darkness and decomposition continue to spread. Sin contaminates and spoils Everything and everyone that it touches. Technology 
may, ha- may have improved the quality of our lives, but it has not stopped the spread of spiritual darkness. Modern medicines help fight disease, but it has not hindered depravity. The only thing keeping the infection of iniquity from completely spreading is the salt of the earth. All that keeps the darkness from overtaking are the Christians who serve as the light of the world. This truth, though a negative and uncomfortable truth, is an unspoken reality. And it is a truth that is veiled within these verses, but it is a reality nonetheless that we must come to grips or come to terms with it. So then, this world is dark. It is decaying. What can be done? The answer is found right here in our text. Notice with me, secondly, The preservative effect of salt. The preservative effect of salt. Verse 13, you are, ye are, all you my disciples, you are the salt of the earth. Now quickly, commentators offer several ideas to what Jesus meant by stating his disciples were the salt of the earth. Some writers suggest it means that since salt is a seasoning that adds flavor, the Christian life is more tasteful than the non-Christian life. Well, that's certainly true, but I don't know that that merits or is what Jesus is saying here. Other writers insist that Since salt was used in ancient times as a medicine and would be rubbed in a wound, an open wound to bring healing, so Christians or Christianity is to bring healing. Well, there's some truth to that, no doubt, but perhaps Jesus meant something more. Others have suggested that since salt is white, it reflects the purity of the believer. Perhaps. But I think the best understanding of what Jesus was saying is also the most common understanding, the most common idea agreed upon by Bible scholars, but more than that, the most common way that the original hearers would have understood what Jesus meant. How did they most commonly use salt? They used salt as a preservative. Remember, To get what Jesus is saying, you've got to step back to a time before refrigeration. The people sitting there listening to Jesus speak didn't have a GE or a Whirlpool refrigerator sitting at home. They couldn't go down to the local grocery store and buy some refrigerated raw meat or hamburger or chicken and take it home and put it in the fridge to keep it cold. No, in order to preserve meat, it had to be salted. This is well documented, it is well known, and in fact it still goes on in many parts of the world today. Further yet, some of the more cultured among us love a good slice of salt-cured country ham. I had a couple slices just this morning. And I think very readily, these original hearers of the Sermon on the Mount would have understood that's what Jesus meant. Salt is a, it is a preservative. And when it is applied to meat, it prevents decay and decomposition. Hence, we as believers serve as purifying and preserving agents of good in this decaying world in which we live. Without salt, meat will rot 
and fester. Without the spiritual salt of the earth, this world and lost souls will rot and fester. As humbling as it is, dear Christian family, we are the antiseptics to hinder the spread of spiritual corrosion in this world. Now, I don't want to get too far ahead of myself. You know, I know it is God working in us and God working through us when we live out this Christian conduct, when we cultivate Christian character, but it is us God is using in this. Our very presence, our very presence, while seemingly small and insignificant, has a preserving effect on society. When we live as salt, when we are salty saints, our lives promote honesty and morality. Christianity advances kindness and decency. The Christian influence hinders ethical corruption. Our lives should reduce crime and hatred. Christianity should erase hate and racism. The disciple of Jesus serves as a disinfectant that preserves holiness and stays the righteous hand of God's judgment on a sinful nation. This is the preserving power of the salty saint. And as far as I'm concerned, this is the primary application of what Jesus is teaching in this part of the sermon. Ye, all you my followers, listen, you ragtag bunch of rejects that the world despises, you are the salt of the earth. In fact, you can understand that language as you and only you are the salt of the earth. Not the religious leaders, not the scribes and Pharisees. Jesus is about to thoroughly dismantle them. Not the politicians, not the philosophers, not the academics. Christian, tonight, if you are a born-again believer and you have truly been saved, your King says you are the salt of the earth. Isn't that a humbling and challenging thought? Jesus says, my citizens, my disciples, they are the salt of the earth. You think, now wait a minute. Doesn't God know about my faults? Doesn't the Lord know how rotten I really am? Yes, dear Christian, He does. Yes, He does. And yet, He still declares you to be the salt of the earth. However, this is where in the sermon, the proverbial Rubber meets the road. Or to stick with the illustration of our Jesus, this is where the salt leaves the shaker. Salt sitting alone doesn't do anything to preserve that which is rotten. In other words, dear friends, in order for our saltiness to act as a preservative, we must come into contact with that which is rotten. A bucket of salt sitting beside a piece of fresh meat will do no good to preserve it from spoiling. No, in order for that meat to be preserved, the salt must be sprinkled on that meat. And often it not only has to be applied, but it has to be 
reapplied. Those of you that have actually salted meat down, you know it's not one and done. In fact, the old language that I grew up hearing was if you want that meat to last, you've got to salt it down good. Our, one of my, in fact, my, really my first full-time job, I was a meat cutter. Where I met my wife at a grocery store. And um, learned about all there is, at least in that, in that time period, about cutting meat. And we had a local farmer one day who brought us a, a ham that he had cured out. Now, of course, we weren't supposed to touch it. We weren't supposed to handle it. He wanted it sliced. And we weren't supposed to do that because it, it didn't have that USDA stamp on it. But he was a good customer, and the, my boss knew him well, and he said, go ahead and slice it. Well... It didn't take long to realize old Farmer Brown didn't do his best job of salting down this ham. About eight or ten slices in, it was rotten. Stinking up the cutting room, rotten. Like soft, nasty, putrid. It's so bad you got to smell it to know how bad it is. Either they had not used enough salt or salt for long enough. Whatever the case is, they didn't salt it down good. And I thought about that. You know, I'm sure that man owned gallons of salt, but it didn't do any good sitting in the bucket in the barn. It needed to be on, applied to, that piece of meat. Salt must come into contact to that which is decaying for it to do its good, for it to serve as salt. This simply means we Christians cannot quarantine ourselves from sinners and then get angry when they go rotten. You know one of the most accurate and glorious accusations that was thrust against Jesus? He was a friend of sinners. He intentionally and purposefully came into daily contact with sinners. He didn't avoid them. He didn't shun them. He didn't hide from them. He didn't get on social media and berate them. Should I preach right there a little while? He didn't ask them, are you a Democrat? Are you a Republican? He was interested in their soul and not their affiliations. Jesus encountered centers, uh, sinners, on purpose and for a purpose. Now, yes, yes, Jesus never condones the sinner's sin, nor did he belly up to the bar beside them, but Jesus went where sinners were. He ate with them, he dined with them, he spoke to them and not about them. He invested His time and energy into them. Why? Jesus even did what Jews don't normally do. He went through this place called Samaria because there was a sinner there that needed the Savior's saltiness. Listen up, church folk. If we are not intentionally coming into contact with that which is corrupt and doing so purposefully and graciously, 
then we are not fulfilling our duty as kingdom citizens as the salt of the earth. If we are not, here's the language, you see it in verse 13. If we are not serving as salt, the old King James is if we've not, if we've lost our savor, if we've lost our saltiness, if we're not doing what we're supposed to, if we're not preserving like we're supposed to, what did Jesus say that we are good for? You read it, tell me, what does he say? You're salty to earth, but if the salt has lost its savor, how, wherewithal shall it be salted? It is thenceforth good for He said it. But to be cast out and trodden underfoot of men. If we lose our saltiness, if we are not acting as that preserving agent to this corrupt world around us, we are good for nothing except to be cast out and trodden under the foot of men. Now, just real quick, normally salt is a very stable compound that doesn't lose its saltiness. Some Bible critics want to say, those, you know, salt can't not be salty. But they're not really learning and studying, they're just criticizing. The type of salt that was common among the people of that area, probably much of it came from the Dead Sea, but it was impure and unstable And as such, it could lose its innate ability to preserve. It could lose its saltiness. And what our Lord is saying is this, is if we lose our savor, our saltiness, if we are not acting or serving in that preserving effect that He has called us to, you might as well take us out and cast us underfoot. You have been called to be a salty saint. This world does not need more sand underfoot. It needs salt that preserves. Christian, let me just say it like this. This lost world does not need you to be like them, but different from them. And by that, I am not talking about, and Jesus will get into this, about what you see out here, but about what's going on in here. And that will make its way outward, but it's got to be inside out. Jesus did not say, you are the sugar of the earth. You're the salt of the earth. Some evangelicals wrongly suggest that Well, if we just mimic the world, we can draw the world. But no, this world does not need us to sugarcoat their sin. They need us to be salt and light. A rotting, decaying culture needs saints to be salty. We must not shed our saltiness, lose our saltiness, lest we lose our value. But not only does the master teacher say that we are the salt of the earth, but we are also the light of the world. Notice then with me, thirdly, the prominence of light. Verse 14, you're the light of the world. A city that sits on a hill cannot be hidden. You don't light a candle and put it under a bushel basket. Instead, you put it on a candlestick that gives light to everybody that needs light. Let your light shine, Jesus says, that people may see your good works and glorify your Father. The prominence of life. Do you realize all life is dependent on light? If there is no light, there is no life. That's true in the natural realm, and that's certainly true In the spiritual realm. Every living creature on the planet is dependent upon sunlight. And every living soul on the planet is dependent upon the light of the world. 
which is ultimately Jesus. Let me stop for just a moment. I mentioned this, but let me, let me try to reiterate it. When Jesus says you're the light of the world, you're not to poke your chest out and strut around like a arrogant peacock strutting through the yard like you somebody something special. The truth about it is, is we must confess like John the Baptist, I'm not that light. I'm just sent to bear witness of the light. In other words, the light that is within us is simply a reflection of the light of the Lord Jesus Christ. He's the light of the world. And our saltiness, we get our savor from our Savior. He is the true salt of the earth. And when we serve as salt or when we reflect His light, we're simply living out the work of the Spirit that dwells within us. So I, I want to clarify that, that this is not about us. In fact, I, I'm not going to have time to preach everything, but at the close of verse number 16, it says, They'll see your good works and glorify who? Not you. They'll glorify your Father, which is in heaven, because our good works were before ordained that we should walk in them. In other words, we're, we're just living out the work of the Spirit that is within us. Just as the moon doesn't shine any light of its own, it simply reflects the light of the sun. We as God's children simply re reflect the light of the S-O-N, the Son of God. But the songwriter had it right when he penned these words, the whole world was lost in the darkness of sin, the light of the world is Jesus. And yet He calls us to reflect that light, to shine that light. There's a little song they teach children. It might do some of us grown folks a little bit of good to learn it or sing it again. This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. I'm going to let it shine as I reflect the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ to this dark world around me. We should be like a city set on a hill. And Jesus is simply making a comparison to an elevated city that was lifted up high that had so many lights in it, so many candles and so many fires that you couldn't hide it. It was evident to everybody. There's a big city on the hill. And by cultivating Christian character, by living as kingdom citizens by living out the conduct that our king has called us to we reflect his light we're like a city set on a hill we're not like the world we're like him light dispels darkness light and dark cannot coexist you bring a candle into a room and it brightens the whole room this is what kingdom citizens are to be in this dark and dreary world in which we live and where the prince of darkness has shed his ugly blackness over everything. And where sin has darkened our society, we're to serve as lights in this, in this world. Notice fourthly the, the proper position of light. Verse number 15, you don't light a candle and put it under a bushel basket. In a sense, Jesus is sort of asking a sarcastic rhetorical question. Who would be so foolish as to light a candle and then cover it so that it darkens the light from the candle? And the answer, of course, is only fool would do that. That's silly, absurd. So we are to take our lights... I don't know, Pastor Jason, you can straighten this out. I don't want to make too much of it. Whether Jesus is, there's an implication here to putting our light on the candlestick, which is a reflection of the church, or not, maybe so. But either way, Christian, you're not to hide who you are. You are to let your light shine before men. Don't be ashamed to pray in public. Don't be ashamed to be who you are. Let your light shine, Christian. This world needs that. It needs it so desperate. 
They don't realize how desperately they need it. Your influence is invaluable as what you say and you do dispels the darkness. Rather than dimming the light or hiding the light, we should elevate the light of the Lord Jesus Christ so that it gives light to everyone in the house. Don't you want others to be delivered from the shroud of darkness? To be broken? Broken free from the bondage, the blackness of sin? And let your light shine. May the glory of Christ shine through you. The songwriter says, live so that others can see Jesus in you. We're to put our light on a candlestick so that it gives light. We're not to hide from the world. This is one of the many things that are wrong with monks who hide off in a monastery somewhere. That's not what Jesus has called us to do. I was preaching at a church, very isolated church, way, way, way away from everything. And this has been a few years ago, and I was just listening in on a conversation. And in this conversation, one of the men in the church there was talking about the spread of homosexuality and the acceptance of it. And he said, I tell you what, if they come here, we'll just move up further in the woods and get away from them. And I thought, well, I'm sure glad Jesus didn't feel that way. We're to shine as lights. We're not to hide away or shun or, or run from. This lost world needs the delivering brilliance of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Let your light shine before men. That's the command and the consequence. If you're taking notes, that's my fifth and final point. The command and the consequence is given in verse 16, let your light shine, that they may see your good works and glorify your Father. Isn't that what you want, Christian? That others could see Christ through you and glorify your Father in heaven? So be salt into this insipid society. Let your light shine. I'm not talking about casting your alms before men, but I am saying... We don't shut ourselves off from the world. Hide away like monks in a monastery. We live like kingdom citizens in this fallen world. And when we do, others will see our good works and glorify our Father that is in heaven. Therefore, dear friends, be children of light and walk as children of light so that others can see the light of Jesus in you. Do you want to have an impact on this society? Here's the beauty about coming somewhere and preaching. I can say what I want and go home. Do you want to have an impact on this society? Do you want to see sinners saved? Do you want to make America great again? Then be salt and light before you're anything else. First and foremost, Christian. A salty saint. A reflecting light of the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus is the salt of the earth. His life-changing, soul-saving message is what destroys the powers of darkness. It is what sets the captives free. It is what stops the corruption of sin. And we must proclaim Him above all things. There's something to be said for the fact that the very ones the world will persecute and wants to be rid of are the very ones this world needs the most. I'm almost done. When Christianity, when, if, and where, Christianity Christianity 
capitulates to the culture and compromises on biblical core truths, the salt has lost its savor. When evangelicals, for whatever reason, refuse to call sin, sin, they're hiding their light under a bushel, scared and afraid of what it may cost to be numbered among Christians. This world does not need us to be like them. Listen, be friend sinners, but don't be like sinners. We've got enough of that going on already without their help. This world needs us to serve as salt and light before them. They don't, you don't need to be cool. You need to be preserving salt. You don't need to be popular. You need to be light. We do a disservice to our neighbor. In fact, we are not loving our neighbor as ourselves when we surrender spiritual truth to the pressures of society. We best serve King Jesus and others by not trying to conform to this world, but being transformed by the renewing of our mind. Will you agree with me as I close? Whether we like to admit it or not, our culture is crumbling right in front of our eyes. Our society is rotting. Our nation is slowly being engulfed by darkness. And the only hope for this nation or any nation is that the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ would stop the spread and the light of His message would dispel the darkness. As we witness this ugly darkness and decay poison this planet, the question that we American Christians should be asking ourselves is not why does the rotten, putrid sinner stink, but why isn't the salt acting as a preserving agent? This lost world is a rotting cesspool of corruption. This shouldn't surprise us, even though it disappoints us. Yet it is into this festering, rotten society that Christians should shine the brightest and stave off the worst. We might ask ourselves, has the salt lost its savor? Do we refuse to come into contact with that which is rotten? Have we hidden our lights under our basket? Christian, I stand before you tonight to compel you. Live as the salt of the earth and the light of the world. And you will honor King Jesus and love your neighbor as yourself. Thank you.